Welcome to Victory. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Church. I am so blessed and privileged and honored to be a part of this spiritual family called Victory Church. How many of you feel the same? Amen. If you're a guest this morning, we welcome you. Thrilled to have you. If it's your first time, look around and see some folks in those red serve shirts. If you have any need today throughout the course of this service, we're here to serve you and to uh, answer any questions that you might have uh, if during the service. If you need someone's attention or some help or get to some facilities or with a baby or whatever, uh, look at those around in those red serve shirts and they'll be more than happy to help you today. We're thrilled to have you on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, just so excited because our, 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 the, the slab got poured for our building last week, a week before actually. It's cured. Five loads of steel have been delivered, and so they're going to start erecting that this next week on Tuesday after Memorial Day. And literally, you're going to look out there in about three weeks and see the building up. And it's just going to be, wow, where'd this happen? How'd this come up out of this ground? And um, then we're going to be in for the long, arduous haul of, are they ever going to get that thing finished? Because they'll go inside and do all the build-out and all the internal work. Uh, but it's just such an amazing testimony to all that the Lord is doing as he continues to bless us every day. I've, I've been hearing praise reports and testimonies about people praying and the Lord answering prayer and just moving in powerful ways. And so uh, I'm excited to see, as we close this series this morning on higher power, um, my whole purpose in bringing this to you as the shepherd of this house as the lead pastor is to just stir your faith and to stir your hearts and hopefully bring you to a place of fresh spiritual hunger. Like that song says, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Too many times we fail, we miss the greatness of God's working in our lives because we are so saturated with all of the busyness and the multitudes of voices that are clamoring for us, our distractions, our own hearts are distracted. They're pulled away from the one who loves us and the one whom we love. And that's the reason it's good to just take some time and come in and just linger. I told him this morning, I said, look, we don't have two services. We don't have a deadline. Let's just, just linger in the presence of the Lord. And they did what I asked him to do today. So I said, just, just to flow with this thing. Just let the Spirit of the Lord begin to move and work in our hearts and just give people a chance to kind of breathe in the presence of God. How many of you enjoyed that this morning? Wasn't that good? Amen. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm excited to, to get into our new building and be able to seat 400 people and be able to have one service for a little while and be able to experience kind of a little bit, uh, op a little bit more openness and not feel like we're on such a tight schedule. Uh, but to be able to just say, hey, listen, let's, let's linger. We're not in a hurry. I love what Erin was doing. If you are not familiar with that, she was singing a song of praise that she was making up on the spot. And, and so that's just something that was coming just by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's biblical. Uh, it's called the song of praise. It's called the song of the Lord uh, in the scripture. And so we're just thrilled to give opportunity and room for that to be expressed in this place. How many of you were blessed by that? Say amen one more time. Amen. We're excited today to, to eat a burger together and fellowship. Yes, I know exactly how you feel, I tell you. I, I've been right there in that place. <laughs> 
we, uh, we are just overwhelmed at God's goodness. As we close Higher Power today, the title of the message is called Desperate Faith. Everybody say, Desperate Faith. I want, to, I want to hear the word so that when you say it, I can feel desperation. Come on, say it. Desperate Faith. I um, really have been before the Lord the last few days just asking God to help me communicate not only his heart but as it comes through me as his messenger um, you know when, when you get a drink of water out of the hose you got to let the water run long enough or you're going to taste the hose and so I try to keep the water running in my life so you don't get a whole lot of the tasting the messenger but there is still a little bit of that because the personality that God is dealing with, your testimony bears uh, the work of the Spirit of God in your life because it is your testimony. You lasted through the test until the test became a testimony. And so it's your story. Uh, can't nobody tell your story like you can. Nobody can sing your song like you can sing your song because nobody's been in your shoes and walked the miles that you have walked. Sometimes miles of isolation and desperation and frustration and crying out to God. And this morning, the text that I want to bring, there's thousands of them to choose from, but I, I keep being drawn back to these two locations found in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew 15. And I'm going to only use one, but I'll tell you what the other one said. They're, they're, they're right in line in what are called the synoptic gospels, S-Y-N meaning together, like when you synthesize something, you bring it together. And optic, obviously you go to an optometrist or to an optician to get a pair of glasses. Sin optic means to see together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That's why when you open the New Testament and you read those three gospels, you end up reading the same stories over and over and over and over again. Because they're giving us the history of the Messiah. And so the story that we look at today is found in two locations, Mark 7 and Matthew 15. I'm going to use Matthew 15 today as the springboard for desperate faith. Everybody say desperate faith. I'm going to grab it here. Look on one of the screens and just listen. Don't read out loud, but just read along with me. It's superscript over the top of it is the faith of a Gentile woman. Everybody say Gentile. Okay. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22, a Gentile woman. Another translation says a Canaanite. Other translations say a Syrophoenician woman. So everybody say a non-Jew. Okay, so she's not a part of the covenant nation of Israel. She's not a Hebrew. She's not a Jew. She's not an Israelite. She is a Gentile, okay, which is everything other than the Jewish people. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Look at this. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. It's like he just totally ignored her. Okay? Then his disciples urged him to, everybody say it, send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is 
bothering us. Everybody say bothering. She is bothering us with all of her begging. Verse 24, then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Another translation says to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Hear the cry of desperation from the request of a mom whose baby is ailing. Lord, help me. Jesus responded. Now brace yourself because this is not typically the Jesus we're expecting to hear. He says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. One thing. Read it out loud with me. Nothing gets God's attention faster than desperate faith. I have one thought this morning that I'm going to bring, and I'm going to preach with some fireworks today. It's Memorial Day weekend, so just belt in, just, just get ready. Okay, We're going to fly around for about the next 25 minutes and give you a, an aerial tour over, over West Memphis. So just get, We're about to take this plane off the ground this morning. Are you ready? Say it one more time. Nothing gets God's attention faster than desperate faith. Now say it with desperation. Nothing gets God's attention faster than desperate faith. Pray with me. Spirit of the living God, I ask you today, out of desperation in my own heart, in my own life, I need you more than I've ever needed you before. I need you to be my thoughts and my words I need you to let these words penetrate the obstacles and the hardness. Lord, the resistance in each and every one of our hearts. As we hear them, let them fall on soil that is ready to be prepared to receive the seed of your word. Not only the words in my mouth, but be the ears and the hearts of your people to hear and receive. We, O oh God, can do everything you have called us to do because it is you who strengthens us. We acknowledge that apart from you we're nothing, but thank God we're not apart from you any longer. We're your children, we're your family. Lord, you've called us to be kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, that as we submit to you to listen, we're not in a hurry this morning, but we're careful to hear with the still, small voice of the Spirit. Let us perk up our ears and hear what the Lord says to the church. We'll be careful to, to take action, Lord, to, to throw our leg over the side of the boat and like Peter, begin to get out and defy natural law and walk on the water because faith carries us. Give us an understanding of what desperate faith is today, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Faith is critical. Nothing gets God's attention faster than desperate faith. Faith is foundational. Faith is critical. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things 
not seen. When we don't have physical evidence, empirical laboratory evidence to prove, it is where faith comes in line and we look beyond the visible into the realm of the invisible. We, we see beyond the natural eye because Bible, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that those who walk by faith do not walk by sight. The world says seeing is believing and the kingdom says believing is seeing. Because when you believe, then God brings to pass what you are reaching into the realm of the spirit, in the invisible, in the unknown, and pulling it out of heaven down into earth to manifest the promises of God. I'm convinced that the world over, missionaries from various denominational persuasions are experiencing revival in world-changing degrees. The church in China over the last 50 years has multiplied over 100 times. Over 100 million people now are confessing believers in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. A full tithe, more than 100 million, it's literally a tithe of the nation of China that exceeds 1 billion people. Now, 100 million, more than 100 million of them are are devout believers that, are, that have been bought by the blood of the Lamb and that are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're literally shaking the nation. <laughs> Multiplied thousands are swept into the kingdom of God in South America every day as revival is taking place in Venezuela and Argentina and Peru. And friends of mine that I know and love and pray for are literally seeing eyewitness to these accounts with people that are crying out to God, that are leaving the deadness of a, 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 of a state-blessed religion that is a mixture, that is a syncretistic mixture of Catholicism and and, and, and gods of the underworld and all kinds of voodoo and things that affect the coast of South America and the Caribbean. The Spirit of God is arising above and touching hearts and transforming lives and multitudes of people are being saved by the blood of Jesus and being swept into the kingdom of God and being equipped and filled with the Holy Spirit to do great things for God's kingdom. All over the world. And yet we as the greatest nation to take the gospel to the world in history past are literally sitting here in a place of desperation yet to see. We've seen it in, we've seen it in every generation. A great awakening, a great revival take place and God begin to sweep souls into the kingdom. And, and, and I really believe that the, the new birth, the born again experience of being made a child of God and being brought into the kingdom of God as an heir of Christ, a joint heir with Jesus and an heir of the Father. I believe that is the greatest miracle that ever takes place on the planet. But there are multiplied miracles of healings and verifiable, historically authenticated, verifiable accounts of people being raised from the dead on every one of the other continents. Are you crazy? No, no, I, without a shadow of a doubt, I, I know that God is moving and working. Why do we see and hear of those things and we don't see those kinds of things happening in the United States of America? And I'm just going to be very honest with you. We don't think we need God. We, our faith is not desperate. 
when, when you come to the place in your life where you, you find that your address is now between a rock and a hard place, when, when you begin to live out of an experience that God is your only option that is left, when, when the reports have been given to you that there is no hope and we've done everything we can, medical science has reached its limitation, we can pray, the doctor might say, or if he's an agnostic or an atheist, he probably won't even refer to that. And so many times people will, as a last resort, begin to put their trust in God. And there's nothing like the heart cry of somebody who has desperate faith working in their lives because things that they were convinced of that they would never do before, that they may have even made fun of in the past, all of a sudden they get real willing to go and try. They may even show up at a Benny Hinn meeting. That's not my blessing of his ministry. I don't know what you think about him. Frankly, I don't care what you think about him. I'm just saying that when you get in a place of desperation, you're willing to go anywhere where you think the Spirit of God, presence of God might be working and moving so something can happen in your life. Because when you get desperate, you don't care what anybody else thinks. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Nothing gets God's attention faster than desperate faith. Faith is critical. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Another translation says you have to believe that he exists. Before you come to him, you must believe that he exists. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, I, I, I come in a place of desperation because I know that God is real and I cry out to Him because I also believe that He's an all-powerful God and He's a good God and when I put my attention on Him and I seek Him, I believe that He will reward my seeking when I come to Him diligently. Everybody say desperate. Nothing gets God's attention like desperate faith. Faith is critical and faith is foundational and I can't please God without faith. And too often in America we live... We, we come to church on Sunday and we nod our heads with mental assent toward our belief, even in a spirit-filled church like Victory or even one of the, one of the great ones in Memphis that you may, may go to and visit and experience the, the, the presence of the Lord in the worship. Maybe Life Church and John and Leslie Siebling, great friends and wonderful encouragers of me and my heart, my life. They've reached out to me in, 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 the, in the season that I've been in and prayed for me and blessed me in ways that people don't even know about. And I'm so grateful to have them as friends. And, and, and other, other great churches in the city that you may go to and experience the power and the presence of God that's poured out in, his, in the worship and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you get in that place and, and you begin to just linger and just say, God, i got to have you because I, 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 have, I have nothing left. When, when I've talked to people about my own situation, and they've asked me, are you mad at God? And I've said, no, I had to say out loud, God, I can't get mad at you because I don't have anything else. My faith is desperate. Sure, I've asked questions because I know that there are people who've tried to kill themselves and the gun wouldn't fire. I know that. I know that. And I go, God, why did that happen for them and it didn't happen for my baby? I don't have the answer to that question this morning and I'm not here in a place of despair. I'm not despairing. I have hope. There is so much hope in my heart and it's just overflowing. But though I'm not in despair, don't you think for a second that I'm not desperate? 
I'm desperate because I have to. I got to get a hold of God. I've got to have the presence of the Lord. It was a man who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, and he's, he's just begging God. He says, God, he just says, Jesus, if there's anything you can do, can you, can you, can you take away this pain from my son? Can you heal my son? He would convulse and throw, be thrown into the fire and was, 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 was hurting himself because he was demon-possessed. And, and Jesus looks at the guy and he says, if I can, he says, what do you mean if I can? The question here is not whether or not I'm able. The issue is, can you believe? He said, because anything is possible to him who believes. Oh man, we come on. We can clap our hands at that. We can sing a song about it and say nothing is impossible. But then when we walk out of here and Thursday afternoon, we're staring an impossible circumstance in the face. We try to do everything we can on our own strength instead of looking to the one who said, if you'll just believe me, I'll fix it. And it's because our faith is not desperate enough. We have so many options. We've got three steps to fix this problem and seven steps to rebuild your broken relationship and ten steps to having a successful business and two pills to take to fix this particular physical malady. And I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful to have the privilege and I'm thankful to have all of the blessing that we have. But there's another side to that coin. When you're living in a three-quarter of a million dollar mansion on the eighth hole of a golf course and you get up every day and look out at that, you don't think how desperate you are and how much you need God. Why do you think that every nation around the world where abject poverty is reigning, that the gospel is so received? Why do you think that the poor are the first ones to receive the word of the kingdom and to take hold of that seed and for God to bring transformation in their lives? Because they don't have anything else. Because they're desperate. I don't want to lose everything to get desperate enough to need God. God, help me in my blessing to continue to remember that all of the stuff that I accumulate, no matter how big my bank account gets, no matter how huge this church grows and whatever level of security that I think I have and having been able to, by the grace of God, only last here for nearly 30 years. Not in my strength, but in His. Whatever I think that I can in any kind of self-righteous way stand before God and think that I've got it made. I want to just say, God, every day help me remember that apart from you that I'm nothing, but thank God I'm not apart from you. I have everything that I need. The last 18 months, I feel like I've moved and my address has been in the valley of the shadow of death. Set with a therapist the second time every couple of weeks I go over to Memphis to a Christian counselor I'm grateful for the recommendation that came from one close friend and then found out that actually two or three of you in the congregation have been to see this brother and blessed my heart because both times that I've left I've left feeling like a weight's been lifted and just carrying a sense of responsibility going why didn't I see this you know and I'm not, not up here to make this about me but I have to let a little bit of my, what my struggle has been and where God has met me in the middle of my struggle and I'm so grateful to have a support team and friends who love me and people that encourage me and that stand with me and pray for me and, 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 and reach out and say man how you doing I'm thinking about you're sending an encouraging text and that has meant the world to me 
But just finding a place where I could just rest in God and go, is there another step? Is there something beyond this? Am, am I, can I even live? 2017 was just about staying alive. And I, and I woke up in 2018 and I feel like I've got fresh hope. I feel like that God is moving and doing powerful things. Desperate faith isn't concerned about what others think. This Gentile woman who's not of the favored people, this Gentile woman hears that Jesus has come into her region. He, he's, he's visited the area where she is, where she lives. She's a Canaanite woman. She's not a Jew. She's not a Hebrew. She's not an Israelite. She's not part of the accepted group that, quote, God has blessed. And she basically is in a place of such desperation that she doesn't care what anybody thinks. She is just rattling the cages of all the disciples, and she's up in their faces. And they literally say in their testimony that they were bothered by her because of all of her begging. When you read the account in Mark chapter 7, it says that Jesus went to a home in a quiet place and wanted to keep it a secret. But how many of you know wherever Jesus goes, you can't keep it a secret? Because when Jesus shows up, some folk are going to find out about it because there's something that just comes with Jesus. It's just this, this moving presence of the glory of God that wherever he is, things are going to change. You can't get in the presence of Jesus and stay the same. And, and I have to say that I, I, I believe that this God-man, fully God, fully man, I believe that Jesus was tired. I believe he needed rest because of his humanity, just like you and I do. I believe that he was weary of people pulling on him. And he wanted to go and just sit and just be able to have some human interaction and be quiet and, and, and keep it a secret for a little while. But the word got out, and so the, this woman hears, she's got a daughter that's, that's, that's deathly ill and she doesn't care what anybody thinks because she knows that somebody's in town that can fix what nobody else has been able to fix where there hasn't been any other hope all of a sudden hope has just arrived hope has just pulled up on a donkey hope has just arrived and shown up in town and she hears about it and, and so she goes knocking on the door and banging on windows and looking through cracks and trying to see if she can get a little glimpse of who Jesus is and where he is because she's heard about this one the Bible says who does everything well there's no human that can that has that testimony given of them but Jesus does everything well how many of you know he does everything right in your life may not answer the prayer the way you want him to, but he'll answer the prayer which is going to be best according to what you need and according to his will. But desperate faith doesn't care what others think. And so she's bugging disciples. She's upset the lead team of Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association. And they're going, Jesus, will you please do something about this woman because she's vexing us. She's driving us crazy. Why? Because desperate faith doesn't care. What other people think. Desperate faith, next point, is persistent in the face of rejection. It, it amazes me sometimes when folk set out with a goal or a dream or a vision or have a need that they need to get that thing met and they are so quickly distracted and detoured and deterred because of somebody who mistreated them or somebody who didn't look at them the right way on the way in the door to church on Sunday morning or somebody who didn't 
come through with an expectation that they had of them. How many of you know human beings will disappoint you, folks? I don't ever set out to offend people, but it just happens. I'm an equal opportunity offender. And you know what? If you love me and you think I'm the best thing since sliced bread and when it comes to pastors, just hang around a little while. I'll offend you sooner or later. I don't intend to. I'm just human. It happens. <laughs> totally a rabbit, but I'm going to chase it anyway. I saw a meme this week and I loved it. <laughs> it said, it said, uncoachable children grow up to become unemployable adults. Life is hard. Get over it. How many of you thought of somebody when, that, when I said that right then? Don't say their name out loud. You know, we, we live in this world that everybody gets a trophy. Not that they don't, they don't mean anything anymore. They don't even. I, I remember going to a, a ball game a few years ago as a guest, as a friend. And I said, what's the score? And they said, oh, we don't keep score. I said, what's the point in playing? <laughs> well, it's an instructional league. Okay, great. So do that when you're coaching them. But when we play a game, somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to learn how to lose. Am I just wrong or is it maybe I'm just old-fashioned? I'm getting old. All this gray is showing up. Who, how many of you know what I'm talking about? we got to grow up. Desperate faith is persistent in the face of rejection. And these people try to push her away. And she gathers up a head of steam all the more. Desperate faith doesn't have time for offense. And this is what I want you to see. I'd like to go back to the text this morning. And I want to speak to something here for just a moment. If you would go back. He left Galilee, went to the north, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And it says, a Gentile woman. So stop right there. Leave that there, Sarah. Doing a great job in the booth. Everybody give Sarah a hand in the booth. Yeah, amen. By the way, pray for Nate, who oversees that ministry. He is in Nepal on a missions trip. And we want to pray for the Lord's blessing and protection on him. In Jesus' name this morning, amen. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O son of David. Now, notice this. She is not of the accepted group of Jews, but yet she recognizes who Jesus is more than most of the Jews around her. She calls him the son of David. That is a messianic term that is ascribed to Jesus saying that this is the one for whom they look the one that prophets prophesied in ages past that declared by the word of the Lord that God would raise up the greater son of David and this woman who's not even in the accepted group she's on the margin she's in the outcast group of people she is called by the chosen people a dog and I don't believe for a second that Jesus is racist after all, the Bible says that God so loved the world, and it's Jesus' words, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And He didn't come into the world to judge the world, but He came to the world to save it. And it's the whole world. It's a worldwide vision. It is not just one special chosen people group. What happened to Israel happens to the church, and it's happened to the church in America. Israel was called by God to be a priestly nation, to be the priestly nation to the rest of the nations of the world. And they rejected the call of God. And God basically says, okay, you won't do it. I will choose one tribe out of your 12 tribes and I will make that tribe Levi 
became the Levitical priesthood. I will choose this, this group, this tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel to be a priestly tribe to you. It's a far diminished vision of what I had, says the Lord. For my choice was to have you be a whole nation of priests to the rest of the whole world. That Israel would be the firstborn among many nations. And they rejected that destiny. They walked away from that opportunity. And God chose one tribe from the twelve just to be priests as representatives to their other eleven tribes in Israel. And somewhere along the way, Judaism became very crusted and traditionalized and very hardened and it became a system of legalism expressed in what's called Pharisaism. And the favor that they were given as a gift by God that they never did earn or deserve all of a sudden became something that they would work for and try to earn uh, by a legal transaction. If we keep this law, then God will bless us. What they didn't realize is that God had already blessed them. They were already saved when they left Egypt by the blood and the water and the Spirit. And they lost this connection. They lost connection to the relationship. And the relationship became a dead religion. And they started just working for it. And, and, and it became this big to-do list. And it was, a, it was a system of gold stars based on merit. And, and, and this one is holier than this one because they've not done those things these people have done. And Israel became the blessed chosen people and everybody else was a Gentile, a dog. It was all based on race and ethnicity. I don't believe that when Jesus looks at this woman as a Syrophoenician who's in desperate, dire need and he calls her a dog by inference, he says, it's not good that I should take the children's bread, the provision for them, stop feeding the children and throw it to the dogs. He doesn't directly call her a dog, but she hears it. She knows that she's just been labeled a dog. And this is offensive. Let me tell you how offensive this was coming from the Jews who saw themselves as better than and holier than. This is much like the southern church in America gripped with the spirit of churchianity and not the spirit of Christianity. Where we look at people who come in the door and we look down our noses and think that we are better than them and they are dog sinners. It's like the publican who lifted up and stood erect in the temple in the synagogue and he says, God, thank you that I'm not as this mere sinner over here, but that I pay tithes and I pay my taxes and I keep the law and I worship on the Sabbath. And the sinner bows in desperation and quietness and beats his breast and says, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I desperately need you. And the scripture says he didn't hear the glaring cymbal crashing of the publican, but he connected to and heard the words of desperate faith coming from the sinner. That's who God hears this morning cry desperate faith of somebody who's fully aware of who they are and where they are and what they need. And Israel had become the publican. Jesus was just merely saying to the woman what is the spirit of the people that he's ministering to. And I believe he came to the lost sheep of Israel because they were lost in all of that legalism and Pharisaism and this superiority that they thought they were so much better than everybody else. And what he said was an offense 
that this woman wouldn't allow time. She wouldn't give place to an offense. And, and, and this, this is just rolling off of you like water on a duck's back. So I've got to make it plain this morning. This is like two separate racial groups meeting together and a black person looking at me and calling me a cracker or a redneck or a hillbilly. Or I look at the Reginelli brothers this morning and call them a couple of dagos. Or the Sotos, and I call them some wetbacks for swimming the Rio Grande and coming over here in our country. Which, by the way, we robbed from the Indians. I'm not getting political. It's like me looking at a black person and calling them and using the N-word. That's how offensive this is. Because that was the offense that the Israelite people were in. They thought they were the crew of God and everybody else was a dog. I don't think Jesus believed that for a second. I think he was trying to demonstrate to the, these broken lost sheep that are all around him how he treated this outsider. How we treat marginalized people says more about our hearts than it does the condition or the circumstance that marginalized person is in. How we treat people that we otherwise want to identify and call a thug or a criminal and look at them and judge them by the color of their skin instead of the content of their character. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching so good right now. Come on, somebody. No matter what it is, and everybody in the room has something that you could be offended at, something that marginalizes you. If you don't think for a second, and it's easy for some people in this room to go, well, he's just a fat, white, privileged, white guy who's finally broken through and has experienced a little bit of success in this church and these great things are in front of him. Let me tell you, let me tell you how marginalized I felt. Losing my wife to suicide. I struggled to even say the word. This is not supposed to happen to my family. My, my daughter, in a place of desperation, says, Dad, I don't understand it. I fasted and I prayed and I marched around my apartment and I quoted scripture and I trusted God for healing for mom and it didn't happen. Where was God when that happened? And I've just had to say, baby, I can't be your pastor. I'm just a hurting husband and a hurting dad. I can give you a theological answer, but it's so empty. It's not going to help you. I'm telling you, I can't get mad at God because God is all I've got. I'm desperate for the Lord. And if you think this hasn't marginalized me, you have no clue. Because every bit of influence that I thought I had, every bit of authority that I thought I had to be able to speak, as one, Abby said to me this trip, she's been home and she says, Dad, I thought our family was happy. And I said, baby, it was. We just encountered this thing that I, we didn't know how to handle and we were just trying to break through. I've told what I'm about to tell before, and so if you've heard me, forgive me. But this is, I've gotten new insight on it, especially since I've been seeing a therapist, and it's a Christian man. I love he stops and he prays, and he closes his eyes, and he says, give me just a minute. And he'll stop and ask the Holy Spirit to help, and then he'll start asking another set of questions. I'm just digging into my whole, my soul, the whole of my heart. And I was... I was meeting somebody at the McDonald's one morning months ago, over a year ago. Just a young man in the church that just mentoring and pouring into and investing in just amazing potential and young man that I love dearly. And he wasn't there yet. I had 
gotten there a little bit early. There's a group of old guys that are over to the right. And one of the old guys is whispering, but he's, he's so deaf, he's whispering so loud, the whole restaurant can hear him. And I'm standing there looking at the board, about to get my two breakfast burritos and my coffee. And I hear come from this side, that's the preacher and his wife killed herself. And I try to open my eyes and I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm refusing, I'm not going to cry in public. And I'm just gritting my teeth going, do I walk out of here? I was hurt and I was offended. I never said a word because that, that, that old guy didn't mean anything. But if you think for a second that I didn't go, God, I know this is what people are saying. They're going to call into question our relationship. And I know that I love my wife with all my heart. And something, it marginalized me. It made me feel part of an outcast group. It set me on a path where I began to be desperate for God. God, help me. God, I cry out to you. I don't care what others think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you've called me to do in this city. No matter what anybody else thinks, no matter how many times I get rejected, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to press in with desperate faith. The only reason I've done seven weeks on the Holy Spirit is just to give you a little bit of an exposure to the awareness that our God is so much greater and so much bigger than we can even begin to dream or think or ask if we will just lean into Him and put our trust in Him and stop living six days of the week like practical atheists because we're so blessed in this country. The poorest person in this nation is wealthy by the standards of the rest of the world. And we can get in that place where we think we don't need God because that's the deceit of riches is what the Bible talks about. The deceit of wealth. Let me tell you, poverty is... When you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you can, you can learn to pray real quick. And you can pray regularly. Oh God, give me this day my daily bread. But when, when, you've, when you've seen some success and you've built a barn and you've got some... some some stock in storage and you've got a savings account and you've got a 401k and you've got a successful business and you've got a good job. Something happens because prosperity is the far greater test. Can I have the stuff and still recognize how much I need God? Can I be blessed? God, God wants you to be blessed. But so often we get distracted by the blessings and we forget the blesser who gave us the blessings. That's what Moses said in Deuteronomy 8.18. He says, when you get over there into the land and prosperity and blessing comes, he says, do not forget that it is the Lord your, your God who gave you the power to get wealth in order to establish his covenant. God's blessed you for a reason. And when you start living for the blessing instead of to know the blesser, then we've just failed the prosperity test. No matter how much, how big, square footage, cars, boats, all the stuff, memberships and hunting clubs and country clubs and all the stuff that we may enjoy. Thank God for all of them. But at the end of the day, no matter what I do, I always want to go, God, I need you.
I desperately need you. And as I close this message this morning, my prayer is that you've just had a little taste, that you've picked up the hose, and you've gotten a little taste, and there's a little tinge of desperation in the water. And that desperation has made you a little more thirsty. Because the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There are marginalized people in this room this morning. You're marginalized because of the color of your skin. You're marginalized because of a current struggle. You're marginalized because of a habit and you've been labeled an addict. You're marginalized because of a failed relationship and distrust to potentially enter another re-entry struggle. Some of you are marginalized because you're battling depression. Some of you are marginalized because you're angry and don't know how to deal with it. Every one of us in this room is broken. Every one of us in this room needs Jesus. But Jesus shows up for those who recognize how much they need Him and will call to Him in desperate faith because nothing gets God's attention like desperate faith. Desperate faith is persistent in the face of rejection. Desperate faith doesn't care what others think. Desperate faith doesn't have time for offense. I can't get time, I don't can't give time to being offended by what others think or what I've heard people say about me in this community since I've faced this sick situation that I'm in. I don't have time. I just have to lean into Father, forgive them because they don't know the heck of what they're talking about. Desperate faith. To the marginalized people in the room this morning, Jesus loves you. And let me just say this to you this morning. Everybody hear this. Jesus loves the people that you hate. Jesus loves the people in our society that you hate. The people that are trapped in crime. The African-American teenage thug. The white welfare thug. It's all across the board. We can never speak to and be the beacon, be the priestly nation in this community. God help us when the church looks at Israel and says, oh, I'm so glad that the church is not like Israel and we're doing the same thing that Israel did. We're holy, we're spiritual, we're God's people. Y'all are a bunch of dogs. You're just filthy, low-down, no-good sinners. You're druggies. You're whores and pimps. You're prostitutes. You're homeless. You know where Jesus would be if he was walking around today? He'd be walking in those ghettos, reaching out to the marginalized people, loving folks that we're uncomfortable with because Jesus loves the people that we hate. His love is bigger than skin color. His love is bigger than addiction. His love is bigger than divorce. His love is bigger than brokenness. His love is bigger than bankruptcy. His love is bigger than suicide. His love is bigger than gossiping people who don't know what they're talking about. And I just believe this morning as we close this service in this place, we bow our hearts together as every head's bowed and every eye's closed. Nobody's looking around.
I believe there's somebody in the room this morning that desperate faith has awakened in your heart. And the Lord is on tiptoe, ready to reach and run. He's looking for you to take one step and he'll take the other 999 and run to you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If, if this is you this morning and you're feeling far from God and you're desperate in your place and you would just say, Pastor, pray for me, slip your hand up. I want to pray for you this morning. Yes, there are half a dozen people in the room. Two over here, a couple in the middle, back there. Holy Spirit, help us today. 